0: How we doing this morning? How's, how's the turkey? Has it worn off yet? Are you still sleepy? I've got extra work to do, I think. Um, I tell you, we were gone last weekend. I missed you. So a happy belated Thanksgiving to you. But um, let's just, we, we're past that. It's Christmas. Isn't this crazy how we can transform uh, the room. I, um, we went down and got my, my mother-in-law, Liz. She came back up with us for the, the holiday and we got our fill. Um, but right about the time that we were sitting down for our Thanksgiving meal, um, I saw this Facebook post pop up on my phone and I wanted to share it with you. 14,000 of us have seen it this week in town, but I wanted to share it with you in case you didn't see it. Um, a random stranger in Bozeman was by herself for turkey dinner. And uh, this community page uh, is, is seen by all those who are in Bozeman. It's called Secret Bozeman. And she apparently had no one to hang out with. And so she asked, Where could I get a Thanksgiving meal today? A few people pointed out some restaurants or some nonprofit, but you wouldn't believe how many people invited this young girl into their homes for Thanksgiving. And some of you, I'm looking at you in the eyeballs, it was you. And I'm so grateful not only to live in a community, but to be a part of a church that would do that that would say, man, this is what uh, the holidays are about. And I thought, man, that's spot on with where we're at in this series that we're starting today. Um, An ordinary Thanksgiving meal becoming a feast for someone we've never met before. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at how God can take the ordinary aspects of our everyday life, our everyday run-of-the-mill life, and transform it into something beyond our imagination. So I want us to just start here today. Um, I want you to invite you to think about what are the ordinary pieces of your life? What is your routine? You now, to be ordinary is to have no special or distinctive features. So, what is a typical day in your world? What are those things that you would consider normal? And here's why I ask that I want us to compare a typical day in the life of you with the essence and the substance of Christmas. The reality of it. I mean, the, the miracle of it. The fact that Almighty God would come down to earth in the flesh, live a perfect life, and then die for the sins of the world. And not only that, but maybe for the next week, four weeks, what if we thought about how he invited ordinary people like you and me to join in the greatest story of all time? It's incredible. Don't lose sight of that as many times as we told it. In the words of one of my colleagues, Christmas is the story of all stories. And here's what I love about December. We get to tell it all over again. And so between now and Christmas Eve, you might hear aspects of the story that you've never heard before, although I doubt it. I would guess for most of us, we could probably recite most of the Christmas story word for word, but none of that matters because what matters is that the story actually happened. And without it, without that child lying in a manger, without God breaking through our ordinary mundane life, Christmas would be meaningless. This season would be meaningless. Hope and joy would be meaningless. And so here's the question I want us to ask as we prepare for that Christmas Eve. What if this year we just focused on the ordinary and simple aspects of Christmas? You know, the Bible uh, is infused with backwater, backwoods, everyday people who God uses as participants to tell this story. And so today, I want to start from the very beginning with this ordinary woman we all know as Mary. You're with me. And I want us to notice how God takes this typical ordinary woman's life and brings it alongside a plan and purpose that no one could fathom. Let's open up our Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. Hear now God's word. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the most high will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God and behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We do not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from your mouth, oh God. So let's talk about this word ordinary for a minute. You know, I think of the word's kind of foreign to us, um, by and large, we don't appreciate ordinary things. Let me just give a few examples. What if a new restaurant opened up tomorrow, but it refused to cook with any seasonings? No salt, no, no garlic, no condiments, just ordinary steak and seafood. How long do you think they'd be in business? Or, what if I was trying to sell you a new house? Would I begin with telling you about the the typical builder grade carpet and trim? Or would I take you over to the signature fireplace in the living room or the latest technology in the kitchen? Or, what if I were to apply for a job and you were to ask me, What sets you apart from the crowd? And I were to tell you, Nothing. I'm just an ordinary employee looking for an ordinary job. How would that go over? We don't expect much to come from such average things, and yet this is the substance of the Christmas story. Ordinary, everyday people, plain and simple life, being overcome and overwhelmed by the most extraordinary event on this planet. I mean, just consider with me Jesus' welcoming crew. We've heard this before, but just go with me for a minute. Walk through the manger scene. Shepherds, nobody's from nowhere. Typically, you'd be surrounded by your family at birth. Even John the Baptist had that gift. But Jesus is greeted by strangers. His baby shower was led by a group of foreigner, wise men, we call them. We don't know their names. His father was a shopkeep. He was a carpenter. Domesticated livestock are watching all this go down. You ever notice just how ordinary the Christmas story began? And then this morning, we get to Mary The Gospel of Luke tells us that the the Christmas story began with this small town girl in the middle of nowhere. In fact, Mary is so ordinary, the text doesn't even begin with her name. It's tossed in almost as an O by the way. And the town that she comes from isn't even hardly on the map. Nazareth was this hill hill town, this rural country town, 500 meters above sea level in south central Galilee. But here's the part we got to realize. It was so small no one had even heard of it before. Look at this on the screens in verse 26. It says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, just the fact that Luke has to tell us where we might find Nazareth, that it's in a town you've never heard of before in the middle of Galilee, tells us how unambigu- ambiguous it was. Let me just compare that to, to today's. We talk like this all the time. Somebody will ask us, where are you from? And we'll say, I'm from Brush. They'll say, I've never heard of that before. And you'll go, oh, well, that's right outside of Denver in Colorado. And we go, oh, yes, now I know what you're talking about. This town of Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. You won't find it in other historical documents. In fact, the famous Jewish historian Josephus, he's an expert in the region. He doesn't even mention it in his documents. The Talmud, one of the central documents of Judaism, <coughs> excluded this town entirely And when the New Testament finally brings Nazareth into the fold, here's what it says. John's Gospel 146. A man named Nathaniel asked, what good comes from Nazareth? Thank you. What good comes from Nazareth? And yet this was Jesus' hometown. Luke 2.39 tells us, Jesus was raised in the same hills by his mother, If no one had heard of that town, they certainly hadn't heard of her. So here's the question. Why in the world would God take a nobody from nowhere to bear the greatest responsibility known to humankind? Here's our first point this morning. When God moves, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Joe Queenan of the New York Times recently published an article that explained just how challenged we become with the ordinary in our lives. This is what he said he said, we insist that every experience be a watershed, every meal extraordinary, every friendship epical, every concert superb, every sunset meta celestial, nothing can ever again be exactly what it was in the first place, ordinary. And yet this is Christmas. This is how Christmas began. And you know, we're not fans by and large by the ordinary things, but I think if we really took stock in our lives, we'd have to admit we're more typical than we put off. Back when I was in college, there were two kinds of walkways to class. There was the sidewalk, which took you the long way, and then there was the shortcuts through the grass. And year after year, there were so many students who took the shortcut that the university finally made it a sidewalk right through the middle of campus. We're not only ordinary, we're also quite habitual and predictable. And certainly God's word it tells us that we're uniquely and wonderfully made. And the fingerprints of our hands confirm that. The face scanners on our phone prove it. So you can still have the saying your mom told you that you are God's special snowflake. I'm not taking that from you. But here's what God's word cautions us on. Look at this in James four ten. It says, "Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you." He goes on to remind us, "Your life is just a vapor; you're here for a short period." Paul says it like this in Romans twelve three. Says, "For by the grace given to me, I say to all of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to." I grew up in a generation that handed out trophies like candy. Thanks, mom and dad. I feel good. Um, if you participated, you got a ribbon. And I think our egos have maybe been fed to a point where we think we're above it all, but here's the reality, no matter what we do, no matter who we are for the majority of us, if we're honest, we're far more ordinary than we think. But if that stings a bit, let me remind you of this first point. God would love nothing more than to take an ordinary you and do extraordinary things. To take a no-name, never heard of before Mary, and to make the Most High famous. And yet even Mary's astonished at this. She says, God, what are you up to here? You're in the wrong town. You picked the wrong girl. I have not even put a ring on a man's finger yet. Which brings us to the second point this morning, which is this. When God moves, the impossible becomes possible. I went out in the woods over the weekend, um, and I was walking around in the beauty that is Montana, and I thought to myself, why is it that we are so hesitant to trust God? I mean, you just look around the mountains around us and it's clear that God cares for his creation. It's clear that God's performed miracles and signs and wonders. From thousands of stars lit up in the night sky all the way to the intricate details on a pine tree. And yet in our obedience, we're hesitant. The angel Gabriel comes to this ordinary woman in a simple town. And the first thing he wants her to understand is, Mary, God is with you and God's for you. He says, you are favored, Mary. You're the favored one. And that's an interesting phrase because just a few chapters later, Jesus is mentioned as having the same favor of God. Look at this in Luke 2, 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You might define that word like this. To be in God's favor is to be in God's delight To favor someone, right, is to enjoy being with them, to delight in them, to be in sync with them. That is to say, Mary and Jesus are in line with with this plan of grace and salvation, are we? Gabriel brings this crazy news to this ordinary woman. He says, with this favor, though, comes an assignment. He said, Mary, you're gonna have a son. But despite God's favor, Mary's so caught up in the ordinary, in fact, not only that, she's now caught up in the impossibility of all this. She's betrothed to Joseph. And according to Jewish custom, they haven't even had intimate relations. So how will it be that I'm pregnant? That's a fair question. The scripture goes on to say though that Mary was troubled by this, terribly troubled. It says she was trying to discern what this greeting was all about. If you skip to 248 in her song, she says, I'm just a humble servant. But when God moves, the impossible becomes possible. Possible psychologists say that 70% of all adults will uh, experience something called the imposter syndrome at some point in their life. Time Magazine published an article on this a few years ago and it said, the imposter syndrome occurs when someone fails to understand and internalize their own ability to succeed. Let me say that again. The imposter syndrome is when someone fails to internalize their own ability to succeed. So on the one hand, don't think too highly of yourself, but on the other hand, Don't discount God, he's made you quite unique in your ordinary life. Imposter syndrome occurs when the, on the outside, the CEO may look like they have it all together, but on the inside, they're wondering, when will my colleagues find out just how far in over my head I am? And whether or not this was Mary, we don't really know, but we certainly can sense her doubts and her anxieties. Even for a moment, she's terrified. I'm just a humble woman. What are you doing, Gabriel? but the story is not really about an ordinary woman named Mary. The story is about Christ. Gabriel said, Mary, the Most High is about to overshadow you. That's how this is going to happen. That's the same language that was used when God's people completed the temple and the presence of God was manifest, overshadowed in the inner courts. He said, do you not realize all things are possible with God? So here's the point. Mary may be a humble, ordinary woman, but then Gabriel gives her a snapshot of what's to come. He says this Jesus' name will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus will sit on the throne of David, and he will reign forever, and his kingdom will too. When God moves, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. When God moves, the impossible becomes possible. So let me ask you, when was the last time you looked for God to move in your typical mundane, ordinary life? Do we expect for him to step into our day-to-day or are we just caught up trying to survive? But when, when will he invade our world? And when he does and offers us opportunities, are we, are we cool with joining him or is it just another inconvenience? See, because here's the third point. When God moves, God's people move too. Mary said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Here's another way I think we might say that. Um, Mary was the first person ever to be sold out for Christ. When she said, I'm your servant, in the, uh, in the Greek, that word is doulos. It doesn't just mean servant. It means total takeover. The, the emphasis being that every fiber of Mary's body, all of her life is now in the hands of the Lord and his mission. Assignment accepted. I'm in it for the long haul. My life is yours. Everything I had planned before this moment is set to the side. I'm sold out. Is that how we see our everyday typical life? As a famous Christian once said, here, you play the leading role, God, and I'll play the background. It's crazy. I think as far as we can tell, Mary was the only one who could be present at Jesus' birth and was also present at his death. She was all in. John 19.25 tells us near the cross stood his mother. And even after his death, she knew that wasn't the final word. The book of Acts tells us she was still sold out. Look at this in Acts 1.14 on the screens. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So I'll ask you again, when in the ordinary moments of life is God calling us to join him to do something extraordinary? Where have we said no to God because in our doubt we weren't sure he would see it through? Where have we put God on pause for another day because today's not good? And what if we made excuses to say yes instead of excuses to say no? You've probably heard of the Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators. The founder was a man named Cameron Townsend. And early on, Townsend was convinced that the Lord was calling him to bring God's word to Mexico, into the deep tribes, uh, the force of, of Mexico. But no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get it done. He, uh, he tried to use his political connections, that failed him. He tried business connections, that flopped. So finally he gave up. He thought, if I'm not gonna reach all of Mexico, I might as well just go to one tribe. So he and his wife moved to a remote village and they began learning the local language and serving the people. Well, not long after that, the town was struggling to find fresh water for their crops, and Townsend noticed that at the center of this town square was a spring-fed fountain, but the runoff was going back into the forest. So he suggested, what if we channel all this water from the spring all the way down the hill to flat ground where the crops are? And in one year, that simple idea doubled their production. Well, nearby a newspaper picked this up and wrote an article on the success which soon made it to the hands of the president of Mexico. The president couldn't believe that this one man had given his life for such a poor people when no one in his cabinet would even set foot in that area. So he came to see it for himself and Lazaro Cardenas rolled up in his limousine to meet with this rumored man. And in one meeting, Townsend was given the authority to disseminate the Bible, not only in the village, but throughout all of Mexico. When God moves, God's people move too. You know, I think it's nearly impossible if we were to count all the churches in this country, we probably couldn't find the number. But back a few years ago, the Journal for Scientific Study of Religion counted almost 400,000 churches in the U.S. alone. Think about that. 400,000 churches worshiping this morning. Let's say on average 100 people attend those churches every Sunday. That's 40 million people. What if 40 million people just looked for God to use their ordinary life for something extraordinary? The Massachusetts Institute of Technology did a study. They attached little black wristbands to people's arms in order to monitor their habits. Working habits, meeting, eating, going out, sleeping, The devices recorded everything. They recorded where people went and how fast, their tone of voice, the the subtle details of their body language. And what it revealed is that a good 90% of what most people do in a day follows routines so closely that our behavior can be predicted by mathematical algorithms. let's say that that might be true. What are you going to do with the remaining 10%? See, when God moves, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. When he moves, the impossible becomes possible because God moves and his people move too. Galatians 4 tells us how this all went. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God takes an ordinary Mary and through her, yes, does extraordinary things. What will we do? Let's pray.